Hello and welcome back to the stories that brought you here. It's the podcast dedicated to the stories of the people from Pender Island, British Columbia. Once again, I am your host, Chris Wakaluk, and I'll be sitting down in one-on-one hour-long conversations with current Pender Island residents to hear the stories that brought them to this culinary little island we live on, and to also hear the stories that brought them to the point that they're at in their lives right now. Today, I will be speaking with Amanda Landa. Now, if you know Amanda like I know Amanda, then you're going to know her as that woman who was the co-owner and chef at the Hope Bay Cafe for a number of years. Well, we're going to get to hear Amanda talk about her experience running that restaurant along with her husband, Rob, and she's also going to talk about many other things. She's going to describe how she came to move here in 2006. She will discuss sailing, talk about motorcycle trips she and Rob went on through the United States, and also explain how she and Rob came to purchase Southridge Country Farms. So there's going to be that and a whole lot more in this episode that I'm super excited about because prior to this interview, I hadn't really met Amanda for real, I'd say. This is a great part about doing the podcast is that get to have extended conversations and get to know people quite a bit better than I did before the conversation happened. And, you know, I wanted to interview Amanda because this is a person who's provided so many meals to so many people on the island over the past number of number of years. And I wanted to hear her perspective as somebody who's had so much food pass through her hands and delivered in a caring way towards the people of Pender Island. So get ready for a pretty enjoyable interview with a pretty great person Without further ado, here's my interview with Amanda Landa. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hey, right on. Okay, how's your how's your morning been so far? It's been great. Yeah? Yeah, Frankie woke us up nice and early. We got to go out for breakfast. We went and played in the park behind the epicenter. Hung out with our little babies. That was nice. Nice. Where'd you go for breakfast? Joe's place. Joe's place. <laughs> Where else do you go? <laughs> Good question. Where else would you go? So other babies at the epicenter? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, we have some friends. Actually, they're the ones that opened up the food truck at the community hall. They have a little boy named Toem, and Frankie is very fond of Toem. Okay. So we went and hung out and played with them in the sandbox, and uh, they rode around on a bike. It's kind of fun watching the two of them hang out together. Right on. Mm-hmm. How old is Frankie? Frankie is a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's lead into the traditional first question after all those questions mm-hmm. that uh, you, of course, know what it is, and that is, uh, what brought you to Pender Island? A job. I had just finished culinary school and I was living with my ex-boyfriend and his family at the time and I needed to move away and find a place of my own and I got a response from Monster uh, where I had posted my job for a camp-like job working in a kitchen at a historic lodge in Alberta and the woman who ran the place uh, reached out to me and Wanted to know if I was interested in coming to work as a line cook for the summer, which I was totally into because the idea of packing up and moving away completely on my own, away from my family, was such an amazing idea. 
to try to find something new and to get experience from a, a chef was really appealing. So I decided to take a job. I moved out there, packed up my Jeep, packed everything in it and just drove out there. And then I wound up working at that lodge for about a year and a half. I wound up becoming the head chef there within two weeks because the chef at the time decided he hated the place and had to leave. So I wound up taking over that job and I wound up having to actually step back because they wound up after the first season, I went home, uh, I came back and they hired a, a chef from South Africa. And in fact, they took him on as like they sponsored him to come to Canada with his wife. And when he got there, he didn't even know I was there. So I stepped back. I was the sous chef and he was the chef. And I worked with them for a while. And then after a year and a half of living in the middle of nowhere, which it pretty much was, it's like on Icefields Parkway between Banff and Lake Louise. Oh, wow. Yeah. So being in the middle of nowhere can take its toll on you. And I got an email from the owners of Hope Bay Cafe, Van and Andrew. Because my job was actually still posted on Monster at that point. I didn't even know because I'd never taken it down. I just got the job and left. Okay. And then uh, I wound up talking to Andrew for a couple of weeks. And he's like, well, I'm looking for somebody to come work here. We were closed, but we're going to be opening up in, in February again. And, you know, would you like to come work for us? And I decided at that point that I didn't want to travel again if I wasn't going to be the chef. So I said, I will do it for you, but I'm going to be the chef and I'm going to come out here and work with you guys. And he agreed and I decided to move up again. I, I wound up at that point just packing a suitcase, selling my Jeep, catching a plane. And I got on, on the ferry with Vanna and Andrew probably about two weeks after we got in touch. And then I moved to Pender in February of 2006. I believe. Okay. Yeah. So I wound up coming to Pender for that job. It was just to work and I stayed. <laughs> so had you, had you ever been to the Gulf Islands before? Never. I'd never heard of Pender Island. I, I did a project way back when I was a kid about killer whales or orcas. That's the extent of my knowledge of the West Coast. That was it. Wow. Really? Okay. So you had never been to the West Coast prior no. to that? I had barely ever left uh, Ontario. I went for a trip to Florida as a kid. But beyond that, I'd never been out of Ontario. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what's interesting is I mentioned earlier, I'm like, I don't even know where you grew up. So you grew up in Ontario. <laughs> I'm from Ontario. Okay. So we're going to circle back to that later. But uh, okay. So they find a job posting for you and they entice you to come over mm. and you quit your job. You sold your Jeep. How was yeah. it selling that Jeep? Did Very you like easy. Yeah. I wound up lending it out to two of the staff members because one of the staff members had a major medical big disaster so he needed to be taken to the hospital so i lent them my jeep but as they were driving to the hospital in banff the head gasket cracked mm. and they broke over on the side of the road so that car never got fixed i went up selling it to a maintenance guy so he, he could take care of it but i couldn't okay good timing right on <laughs> yeah. okay yeah. those poor guys <laughs> those poor guys i know well they're stuck on the side of the road waiting to get to the hospital so Ooh. luckily they were able to hitchhike and get to the hospital but yeah, that must have sucked for them. What a bad time for a vehicle breakdown. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they know too. But yeah. I, And now everybody knows as well. But uh, okay, so you, you get to Pender Island and you've never been to the West Coast before. And so you're, you're taking a huge, uh, huge plunge coming out here. But mm. so what was exactly that uh, that they said or, or like enticed you to 
make the switch to be like, okay, I'm going to uproot my life and, and live in a Gulf Island for a little bit. Like I mentioned, it was very hard um, and taxing being in the middle of nowhere uh, because it's like a camp style living. A lot of people cycle in and out. So you make these deep connections, you make these great friends and they move on and you're just stick and put, right? I was young at that point. Well, not that I'm not young now, but I was like in my early 20s getting to be about 25. And at that point I realized, you know, I still have a lot of living and a lot of things to see and do, and I'm not going to do it sitting here experiencing people coming and going and making these connections. Maybe it's time for me to go and make new connections. So I just, I, the idea of finding a new adventure was really what sent me on my way. Okay. And, and, and Van and Andrew, the idea that I was going to go live on an Island with these really, what seemed were amazing people and were amazing people was, was worth it. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, you hit the Island and you start your job and what, uh, what was the first uh, six months to a year like for you? <laughs> it was very tough actually, uh, because I'd still been contemplating moving back to Ontario at that point. I had a lot of homesickness because like, even though you're out having these great adventures and meeting all these new people, all my family's back in Ontario, my sister, my mom, my best friend and her family. uh, Like I had like my whole life was there. So constantly, like every once in a while when something would happen, you know, like say the day was bad at work, I had a fight with a coworker or, you know, things weren't running perfectly smooth. I would be like, well, I'm just going to move back to Ontario. But, you know, in the end, after that happens, you know, you just, you just wind up sticking around and, and, and being there. Okay. So homesickness and, and then, but how was it in terms of um, forming uh, friendships and friendships was, was great. When I first moved uh, to Pender, I wound up living with the owners, Ben and Andrew, they had a suite in their basement. So I had luckily a place to stay to, to land. And I I wound up just, you know, hanging out with the people that I met. Like the first day that I got to Pender, it was nighttime. So the next day I woke up and Vanna took me out and showed me around and said, here's my car, go for a drive, check out stuff. So I thought, okay, I will. And I took the car and I went to the pub and I decided I'm going to meet people my age. So I went inside, I sat down, I had beer and I you know, kind of watch people and survey and see what was going on and who's who and just kind of get the lay of the land. And I wound up talking to two uh, two guys, uh, Rory and Joe, and they were really nice. And they invited me back for the night because there was karaoke. Actually, it was the night that I met Rob. Oh, uh, yeah, no. yeah. I met him the first night that I moved to the island. <laughs> yeah, but we didn't even know. He didn't remember it. We were, I, I just came down to the, to the pub that day and I, I went to karaoke and I met all these people. And in fact, Lindsay introduced me to, to Rob and his friend Andrew. And I, I just, I met a lot of people my age and it was, it was really nice. It kind of showed me that the people here were so welcoming and lovely. And, you know, it really was like the small town that, you know, you knew everyone. So it was really nice to make those connections. And then after that, I wound up living with Amanda and Andrew for a couple of weeks more. And then I wound up moving in with one of my friends, Joe and Kelly Hadwin, who used to bartend in, at Browning, worked at all the restaurants. So I lived with them for a bit. And I basically just met a lot of people by moving in with them. Yeah, I moved from house to house, met different people, lived with them, and then moved on to the next place. Okay, and so when you said, uh, was it Rory Began? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, Lindsay Hampson. Lindsay Hampson. Yeah. yeah, and then Joe. Joe, uh, you probably wouldn't have known Joe. Okay, he, so. 
Yeah, he was kind of just a a guy who did some bartending at Browning for a, a brief couple of seasons. Okay, no yeah. longer here. No, 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 probably off somewhere. Okay, <laughs> all right. So you're you're working at uh, Hope Bay, and then you uh, meet Rob, but he doesn't remember meeting you. No, well, it was everyone was drinking out on the patio, and Lindsay just was kind of like, "Hey, here's my friend Rob." He's- <laughs> and Harry and Jewish and he lives on a boat and I'm just like this woman's crazy I don't know this guy so I'm going to continue talking to the people I do know at this point and maybe we'll I'll gravitate back and talk to them so that was the first time that Rob and I met but we we probably didn't talk again uh, for maybe like a year maybe six months something like that okay but yeah yeah we were friends for a long time before we got married Nice. Yeah. Nice. I think that's an incredibly good way to do it. Be friends before you get into a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You really get to know what the other person's like, right? Yeah. yeah. See what they go through. <laughs> See what they go and how they handle it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, well, you know, as, as a lot of people uh, know you and uh, what I mentioned in the intro as well, too, as being the uh, the chef at the Hope Bay Cafe that uh, you and your future husband, mm-hmm. uh, Rob, wound up running. How did that uh, unfold? How did that situation happen from working at Hope Bay to, uh, to winding up uh, owning it? Well, I I worked there probably for maybe about a year and a bit, or maybe just under a year. And Vanna and Andrew, the whole time that they had the place, were actively trying to sell it. So eventually somebody came along and bought it. And I didn't like the way the transaction went, and I kind of felt like I was being sold with the restaurant. Oh. Yeah, in, in their eyes, they thought that that was what was going to happen. And I wound up deciding that it's probably not a good fit with them. I'll try it for a couple of weeks. And then I actually wound up getting in touch with Joe from, at that point, he was working at Browning. Mm-hmm. And he needed a chef because Georgina was going to be leaving. And that was just when Browning was going through its beginning phases of its uh, makeover. Sure. So when Lynn and Gary wound up stepping in um, and Joe was setting up the pub for all the renos. And I wound up leaving Hope and uh, going to work at the pub. So... I worked at the pub for a long time. I helped them redo their food program. And and for me, like work is a big part of my life. So being part of that was very important for me. And being there was very important for me. Uh, and not leaving Pender. So that was a way for me to stay. It was having this new job that was essential. So I wound up getting to know Rob. And him and I got more involved. And eventually decided that we were going to date. Yeah. And he he noticed that I wasn't completely happy because, you know, at that point in my life, I had worked so hard. I'd barely taken any vacations. And Rob was very all about enjoying life and doing fun stuff. And he started talking about doing a sail trip to Mexico. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I, I've got to work. I can't. I, I no, I've got to work. And he would he would just kind of casually say Mexico all the time. And I would be like stop, stop, I'm not quitting my job, moving away to Mexico, (laughs) (laughs) which sounds really stupid because I should have right away. But after a while, I I really did. Like I I wound up thinking about it and I thought it would be great. And I wound up getting a back injury and I couldn't work as much. And I realized at that point that my life couldn't just be about work and that I needed to start taking advantage of the things in my life that would bring me happiness. So I really started to consider what Rob was talking about. And I said, yes, I said, 
I'm going to tell Joe I've got two months and I'm going to move away with you in September. And I did. We just wound up packing up the, the boat, getting it ready with gear because Rob had done a sail trip to Alaska the year before. Oh, wow. Yeah, he wanted to, to keep on sailing. Um, and I, I decided um, that if we were going to leave, we got the boat ready, make sure it was livable for me because <laughs> I'd never lived on a boat. I lived in small places before, but not on a boat. So what does it mean to be livable? What uh, what criteria were you looking for? Uh, that I can move around easy enough. Because with my back injury, craw- uh, crawling in and out of the boat was a little difficult. So I made sure that, you know, it was okay for me. And it was. Um, as long as I didn't have to do any hoisting of sails and things like that, I was okay. He wound up doing a lot of that stuff. And we had people who came with us who did all that stuff too. So I was comfortable on the boat. It was a great idea. When we were, we decided when we were done sailing, I would wind up moving with him to Tofino. Like we'd go away for six months and we'd move to Tofino. And then we decided one day to go in and go to a Super Bowl party at one of the resorts in the town of Mexico that we were staying at the time. Because we, we made it down there. We had a lot of fun. It was, it was great. <laughs> Wait, well, so how long did it take to get down there in the boat? A lot longer than it was supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, it took, I guess like two months eventually, because we wound up breaking down in, in uh, San Diego and San Francisco just outside because the boom was going to fall off the mast. So we needed welding done. The front staysail fell off. The rudder box was breaking off of the glassing. Uh, so it needed to be done. So we had to haul the boat out and have it glassed and all sorts of work done. So we were stuck in the States for a while. And then finally we made it into Mexico and everything just got amazing. It was just like life completely changed and it was wonderful. And we met a lot of people. We sailed with a couple that we're still friends with now. And we were really enjoying life. And um, one day we went into the resort with them that we were anchored outside of. And we got a call from Lindsay, who was still on Pender. And she said, oh, the people who bought the restaurant after you left, they've failed. And, you know, this place is up for a song. You guys, you know, you should think about it. And I thought to myself, well, that's a great idea, but I think it's going to be a lot of work. But Rob was so stoked on the idea. He's like, it's amazing. It's great. We could get it for this song in a dance. And after, you know, a couple of hours of talking about it, we said, yeah, we should probably call Sam and talk to him about it. So... We kind of came up with a business proposal and, you know, a business plan so that Sam could see it. Because I think at that point he was nervous about who would take over the place because he had had two failed attempts after Vin and Andrew. And, you know, he really wanted to see that whoever was going to take it over had a good head on their shoulders on the business end. So we wound up getting in touch with him, getting the place. We had phone numbers and credit cards and everything set up for Mexico. And we left Mexico. Uh, two months early, because <laughs> we were supposed to stay for six. We left after four months. And, uh, yeah, we we lived on the floor of the, the restaurant for a while. You lived on the floor of the restaurant? For a little bit. Okay. A couple, a couple of long nights. Yeah, And then yeah. we wound up living in with Lindsay and Paul in their place at the time. And then the sailboat came back from Mexico on a barge, because <laughs> Rob couldn't sail it back. So yeah, how well, did you guys get back? Uh, I took a plane. Okay. All yeah, right. I left Mexico from Puerto Vallarta and went home and got all this stuff set up. And then Rob had to take care of the boat because it was getting close to um, hurricane season. So we needed to make sure that the boat was put into a marina 
and ready to be loaded on a barge and then sailed back up the coast. So we did that. And then, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a big change from being an employee to being the owner of the place. No doubt. Yeah. Well, first of all, kudos to your life experience for uh, jumping on a uh, sailboat and sailing for two months down to Mexico and buying a restaurant midway through a trip. Awesome. We always do things quickly. Okay. Yeah. 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 But uh, so it was a tricky transition to go from being an employee to being an owner of a restaurant. Yeah, there's a lot of hidden things and it's mostly just the, you know that you're not going to have any time and that you're going to be working all the time, but you just don't realize how much, how if the power goes out, you're there. <laughs> you got to, you got to save everything by bringing your generator down and plugging it into the generator. You know, if there's holidays, well, you may get the holiday off, but maybe you're going to use that to go to town to get stuff. So we both didn't realize how much work it was going to be, but we both loved it. We both loved it a lot. And I think it was a great learning experience for us. I'm really glad that we did it. I feel like I really grew as a person there, cooking the food that I wanted to cook without having to rhyme it off six or seven different people was nice. Because when you work in restaurants, you really do have to collaborate. And not that that's a bad thing. And it's a good thing. It can be very helpful. But, you know, finally getting your food out was great. But, um working that hard and that long with my back injury that I got earlier, it just eventually started to take a toll on my body to the point where, you know, I couldn't really walk anymore properly. Wow. Seriously. Yeah. Well, I had a herniated uh, lower disc and I had to work long hours on my feet. So eventually that kind of just uh, builds up and then I didn't want to be on painkillers all the time. So you, you just kind of uh, deteriorate. Well, how did how did you herniate your disc? Um, I was working and I lifted a pot and I turned sideways. Oh, okay. It's something kind of simple. So simple. And then that can kind of just, um, because of the damage that it did, it just, you know, it never healed properly. It's a thing that I still manage actually now. But it changed the way I, I worked. In terms of just being more cautious or ergonomic yes. movements? Yeah, and, you know, just realizing that you can't do 16 hours. Because when you work in restaurants, that's pretty much what you do. You do your shifts of 16 hours. You work day and night. So um, I'm really glad that, uh, you know, after working so long, realizing and as we got older that we needed to slow down and take time for ourselves. And that's one of the main reasons why we sold the restaurant was because... We really wanted to have time for ourselves and we wanted to take care of ourselves and we wanted to have a family. And I admire those families, the, the big families that have restaurants and they pass it down from generation sure. to generation. <laughs> I don't understand how they do it. I admire them and my hat's off to them. That's hilarious. I was back in Burnaby where I grew up over the holidays and I went to a pizza place called Viva Su Pizza in Burnaby. <laughs> and I remember going there when I was 13 years old and, mm -hmm. and so like the, the kids are running it now. And, uh, it was so, it was so adorable to see, right? Yeah. Like it, they, there weren't like adorable expressions on people's faces in there. Like <laughs> the kids no. didn't really seem like they loved it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was passed down through through generation after generation. Well, I'm going to get back to uh, what happened after you sold the restaurant in a little bit here, but let's backtrack a little bit and find out about how you got involved with food. If you want to share, how did you oh, yeah. wind up choosing to go to culinary school? I wanted to be a chef from the age of nine. Whoa. Yeah. I really liked cooking and my mom would, pull out a cookbook and I'd be able to pick a recipe and we can make that recipe that week. So 
my father really liked cooking, so I, I watched him do it. And my, my grandmother was a good cook. But I really, really enjoyed it. And after years and years of, um, you know, just playing around at home, I took a job um, in a fast food restaurant. Which one? Which one? I managed a Harvey's when I was 17. A Harvey's. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was a great restaurant. But I realized that I really liked it and I liked the pace of, you know, working in restaurants and I liked being with food and I liked the creativity, although there's not much creativity in fast food. Well, Harvey's, there was creativity. I know. You the, could pick your toppings. Totally. The customer gets to be creative and I you know. just have to follow along. But for sure. Yeah, that's a unique angle for a burger joint. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I did that for a while and then I wound up working in other restaurants um, finally I decided I was going to go to culinary school. So I I wound up uh, quitting my job that I was working at. I was a sous chef in, I guess, technically at a Boston pizza. And I gave that up and went to school in Toronto. I got myself into the culinary management program at George Brown and really enjoyed it and loved it and decided then that that's, you know, I, I wanted to be a professional chef. Like I wanted to learn the techniques because it's easy how you easy to think when you walk into the program that you know everything, especially being a home cook. I've cooked forever. (laughs) I know everything about cooking. And you get in there and you realize like you don't know anything. There's so many other things you have to learn. There's techniques and names and sauces and it's all really structured. And what I'd been doing was nowhere near structured. So I really loved learning and being with other people who really loved learning about food and being with people who really cared about food. So it really changed how I cooked the program. It was such a great experience. And I'm really glad that I decided to go to culinary school because I was either going to do that or just work in somebody's restaurant for the rest of my life. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting when you talk about just being given the hard lesson or being dumbstruck about like, oh, I thought I knew everything. But what was one of like the first big lessons you learned in culinary school that uh, that sort of whapped you upside the head a little bit? And you're like, oh, I didn't know that. Timing, really. Oh. Yeah, I was because a lot of a lot of what you're doing is based on timing. And I really just thought I could just walk in with a without a plan. Like they really structure it out. When you get your lesson plan, you need to write down how you're going to do everything and what steps that you're going to do everything. And you're, you need to have your mise en place, which is like all your top stuff ready to go for your pan. Sorry, what, how do you pronounce that? Mise en place. Mise en place. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I, I thought that, you know, I could just go in there and cut up my stuff on the fly. And I thought I could, you know, just, you know, wing this one step. And I made this dish and it turned out awful. And it was just really embarrassing. And, that was kind of when I first realized that I really needed to pay attention and that it was really about technique and about structure and that if I really wanted to be serious about it, I needed to, you know, get on board. Okay. And so you said that it was really encouraging being around people who had the same passion. And so the the class that you were in, you found a lot of people with a similar, uh, similar desire. Yeah, yeah. I, I went to school. with the, the first year I was in school, because I was so much older than a lot of the students, it was tricky to make the connections with those people. So by the time the second year rolled around, it was nice to see their enthusiasm. They were just really young. So I couldn't, you know, it's not, it's like they're 18. I'm 23. It's Even though it's such a short age range, it's such a huge deal. It's a total difference for sure. Yeah. No question. So the second year, fortunately, I was put into a program with people who are more my age. So I was able to talk to them and they all worked at different restaurants and, you know, it was 
great to hear their stories and to watch how they did it. You could bounce ideas off of each other and you could collaborate on, you know, like I'm going to make this recipe. What are you going to make? And they offer you advice and you offer them advice. And it was just great to have that because I hadn't had that before. When you're working in a fast food restaurant, you know, you put it together the way the book tells you to put it together. There's no, there's no ad living. There's no, um, there's no expression really. It's just food mm. for other people, and you want it to go out fast. Of course you do. <laughs> Order up again, again. <laughs> exactly. Was there a drive-through window at that Harvey's? Uh, no, thank God. Okay, all right. I I don't think I would have made it. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Tim Hortons the other day. I was like, "How are these people do it? This is amazing." Yeah, you lose your mind. You just kind of sink yourself in and take your orders. That's about it. Okay. All right. Well, taking another step back into the past here, you mentioned uh, your mom and yourself when you were the age of nine. So it was one recipe a week you guys would work on, you said? Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, it wouldn't always be one week. Uh, like, it, it would kind of varied. If I was going to my dad's for the weekend, obviously, I wouldn't be doing a recipe with her. But uh, she would let me pick pretty much whatever I wanted. I remember we did steak and lobster. It was, what? That's great. I know. <laughs> like, thanks, Mom. I'm going to ruin this lobster. It's going to be delicious, but not. The steak is going to be perfect, but dry, you know? So your mom really fostered this... Uh... Yeah, she she really wanted us to be creative. And she, she cared about that kind of stuff, which cool. was nice. You appreciate those things uh, later in life because who knows where I would have been if she hadn't fostered those ideas for me or... or if she hadn't fostered my love of cooking. For sure. For mm-hmm. sure. What is your mom's name? Susan. Susan. Yes. Okay. Is she still back in Ontario? Yes. Okay. Yes. All she right. is living in a town called Port McNichol. Port McNichol. Yes. Okay. Got a nice <laughs> ring to it. Port McNichol. I know. <laughs> and so you mentioned uh, you had a sister as well too? Yes. My sister, Lisa, she has uh, a place in Bradford in Ontario, I believe, or Innisfil, one of the two. I don't get home very often. It's hard to get back to Ontario with the, the work that I do. It's hard to want to get back to Ontario. I hate going back because most of the time if I have time, it's the winter time and I don't want to go back to the snow. No. And if it's the summertime, it's too hot. We took Frankie there last year for a family gathering, and I told myself, I don't think I'll go back in August again. Maybe in September, but not August. How big was the family gathering? Huge. We probably saw 100 people in in like three or four days. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, so break it down for me. Was it like, where was the venue? Where were you guys hanging out? Uh, Because Frankie was still so young and napping a lot, we wound up hanging out at the cottage that we had, his parents have on uh, Lake Simcoe which is actually right around where I grew up. We grew up like right next to each other and we didn't even know. Oh. Yeah. We're, I'm, he's from, his cottage is in my hometown. Okay. So w- what area of uh, Ontario is that? Uh, it's Keswick. Kenswick. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm unfamiliar. So is like, how close to Toronto is it? Uh, it's about a, <laughs> now that the highway is extended pretty much there, it's like a 20 minute drive. Oh, geez. Okay. So it's really close to Toronto. Yeah, it's super close. Okay. But yeah. a, a cottage you guys are in spending time at well yeah we went to the cottage because of all of our family being there we would have big days where a bunch of family would come and meet frankie and hang out because she had never met any of them she was only six or seven months old so all the family would come hang out with the baby the baby would go for a nap (laughs) 
then we'd all hang out and then it would just be one group of people would leave and one group of people would come and it would just be like this constant onslaught of people, which was great because it was really nice to see everyone, but it was exhausting. Yeah. And it was very hot. <laughs> yeah. I know the weather and the humidity is ridiculous. Yeah. Even on the lake, there's no relief. Yeah. And so, well, that's pretty interesting that uh, both you guys have that uh, Ontario uh, past yeah. to draw from there. But how does uh, how does Rob feel about it? Does he, he's like, I don't want to go back to Ontario either or what? No, no. He loves the cottage. He loves Ontario. And he, he was invited to go back for a cousin's wedding. And he wound up not wanting to go because it would be difficult because he'd have to go by himself with the baby. Oh, so that is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So he he decided not to go this year, but his idea of one of his favorite places in life is that cottage. Yeah. That's like his happy place. Cool. Yeah. I love lakes. I'm a big fan of lakes and uh, yeah, we have a couple of nice ones on the island, but it would be nice to, I would love to have a cottage on the lake at some point. I know. Ah, those lucky people who live around Buck Lake. I know. I used to, <laughs> actually, I used to live on Buck Lake. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I had a, an apartment there with two friends of mine and uh, it used to belong to a guy named Bob Kerr who owned a lot of houses around Pandora's rental properties. That's funny that you talk about uh, living around Buck Lake because when you showed up here, the first thing you said when you when you saw me was like, "Hey, I used to live here." <laughs> yeah, it happens a lot more than I'd like to admit. What really? Okay, because how many? Because you said you lived at nine different. places? I've lived in nine different places on Pender. I lived with Vanna and Andrew. I lived with Joe and Kelly. I lived with Kara Grimmer. I lived with John and Jen on Buck Lake. I lived with Wendy here. I lived with Rodney and Justin on McKinnon. I lived with myself. I had one of Bob Funk's places. And then I lived in a couple other places. I can't remember. There's just so many. Which was your favorite place? Before the place that you're living in now, of course. Which was your favorite place to live? No pressure to say this place (laughs) at all. (laughs) You know what? It was when I finally got my own place and I lived in Bob Funk's. Okay. Yeah. 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 He built this really radical little downstairs suite. It was basically just, just a big old room and had a loft bed. It had like a hidden dryer washer and a tiny little bathroom and a tiny little kitchen. And it would actually be, it was probably like my second place by myself, but it was the first place where I actually got to, to live alone and make my own space. So that was the place. And Bob was a great landlord. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. He's so helpful. Yeah, living on your own is pretty great. Uh, yeah, actually, like I'm sure most people have roommates yearn yeah. for that. Oh, I loved all my roommates. I loved living with people. It was great because you kind of have this little family relationship with people and, and you get to know them really well and in a way that you wouldn't get to know them if you just worked with them or if you just hung out with them. So I really enjoyed my time with every every people that I lived with. Some people I didn't see very often. When I lived with Rodney and Justin, I kind of just saw them when I came in. I was like a ghost. In and out, just had to work. Because those were the sixteen-hour days. Yeah. Well, mm. that's that. That was back when I was just doing the chef and by myself before I even was with Rob. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, More hours then. I'm sorry. <laughs> More hours then. More hours then. I can't even imagine doing sixteen-hour days. It just blows my mind. Actually, it's hard. It's hard, but you kind of take a nap in the middle. Really? Yeah. I used to bring a yoga mat to Hope Bay, and in the back room where. Now where they had the kitchen when the, the taco shop was there, you know, the side suite. For sure, yeah. I used to pull out my yoga mat and sleep in there. Mm. Have a little nap and get back to it. Extra thick yoga mat? Yeah, it was kind of like quilty. Yeah. It was nice. No, just having a thin <laughs> yoga mat would be a rough sleep there. <laughs> it kind of was. 
<laughs> well, now that you've mentioned other people, I'm going to lead into the second traditional question we get to on this podcast, which is difficult for some people because usually the answer is everybody's helped me along the way, but who has helped you on Pender Island? Uh, there is a long list of people. The first being Van and Andrew. I, I wouldn't have stayed it. I, I couldn't have done a lot of the things that I did without them. They were like parents in a way. Andrew was a bit of a mentor for me. Um, he taught me a lot about owning a restaurant and how to run your restaurant. And Vanna taught me a lot about customers and how you need to be this force. Like she really taught me how important it is to love your customers and how to think about the smallest thing. Like when you cut an onion for your sandwich, don't cut it into a big thick piece. Think about how they eat. And she really taught that to me, like before I thought about it, but I didn't think about it in the same way that she taught me. And they were just so welcoming and open and loving and caring. And I couldn't have stayed on Pender if it wasn't for them. Mm. They, they, they are amazing people. I'm I'm actually not familiar with these two. Are they there? Are they still on the island or no? No, uh, I'm not even sure if they still own their house. They wound up moving away, and Andrew wound up running a couple of resorts here and there. Okay. Um, and Vanna just she kind of had small jobs, odds and ends jobs around. But yeah, they they left pretty much as soon as they sold the the house. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So so Vanna and Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Vanna and Andrew Hickson. All right. Thank you. So they really, so she actually taught you a lot about perceiving it from the customer's point of view. Compassion for your customer. Compassion for your customers. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how when you cook, you can kind of lose sight of the customer. You you don't really, you don't get to experience that all the time. You don't get to see that. But at Hope Bay, because it was open concept, you really did engage with your customers. You really did get to know them. You got to talk to them. You got to learn about what their likes and dislikes were. And um, that was a great experience. And how not to cuss in public. <laughs> <laughs> or else everyone will turn their heads and look in your direction. Exactly. And be like, uh-oh. I, I don't know. I hope mad. that's not my meal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that's, uh, uh, that's lovely. Compassion for your customers. Yeah. Uh, I'd say Sam Boyt probably was another big one. Yeah. Yeah, Sam's amazing. Sam is the one of the coolest guys I've ever met. He is always on always positive always smiling except for every once in a while you know i'm sure there's a frown there now and again but he's just he's so helpful and so and for us being in there he was he did everything he could to help us and was understanding and compassionate and just an amazing person as i'm sure you know because you did a a podcast with him right episode number 25 if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah it was amazing actually he has some uh, great stories to tell Well, his family has been here a long time too definitely yeah yeah sammy boyd right on yeah he's great let's see well joe obviously joe Uh, down yeah yeah, he helped me out with uh with being understanding uh when i worked at the pub and he kind of, well, getting me in there actually really helped because if I hadn't had that job, I probably would have left. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, at that point in my life, you just move where the work is. Yeah, of course. So he helped a lot with uh, helping me stick around and he taught me that I should control my temper every now and again. <laughs> it's it's funny how easy you can kind of, uh, with the stress in that environment, how easy it can be to kind of let your frustrations take over and um you know i i learned from him he handles it very well he handles stress and all the situations very well and it it, you know it just kind of seems to slide off and hence the saying you'll be fine 
Did you used to say that a lot before he came up with that as a slogan? You know, or? I I don't I don't recall getting it much myself, but I do hear. Other he just embodied say, it. You yeah, just, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. He is it. <laughs> so so yeah. Um, I also would say, uh, Lindsay Lindsay Hampson. Yeah. Uh, she helped me a lot. She was very instrumental in introducing me to a lot of people, and you know we were good friends for a while, uh, for a long time, and she really helped me out. Her husband at the time, or my friend now, Paul, Paul Hampson, is amazing. He's always been very helpful and just it's great. He, he helped us with things like, like building things, um, taking care of, like getting ideas ready for me. I don't know how to explain that one, but all I have to say is Paul. Okay. Paul. He's Paul just Hampson. great. Paul right Hampson. on. And all, the, all my customers, everyone I met at Hope Bay, there's just so many of them. And... The way they, they care, the way that they, they help kind of take care of you, it's really hard to put into words. They get a vested interest in, in you. Mm. Like they, they get to know you. Mm-hmm. And when you're not having a really good day, they can kind of tell it. And they, they kind of, you know, they, they make you smile. They make you laugh. And they can really easily turn around your attitude and your, your mood and get you back on track of being positive because it's very easy to get upset and to hold on to it, I feel, for myself. And each one of my customers uh, has really helped me stay here on this island. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Because yeah. you're not going to find that in a big city, obviously. You probably no. wouldn't hear from, you know, because you talked about the open concept of what Hope Bay Cafe was when you owned it. And then... Um, yeah, being able to interact with the customers. But even if you had an open concept in a big city, it's just revolving door of customers generally, not the same locals and the people that you live with in the community. That's uh... Yeah, you really get to know these people. You get to learn all sorts of stuff about their lives, and you really care. We're about to lose some really great Pender Island residents. Uh, Catherine and Colleen are going to be moving away. What, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, they sold their house, and they're on their way to Souk in, like, they. I think their house sells in like 10 days or something. So like people like them, like uh, people who really care about you and people who uh, you can have a great conversation with and people who follow you and support you. So, you, you know, I wouldn't have want to stuck around anywhere if it didn't have that kind of community. And Pender has a great community and they take care of the people that they care about. Nice. So, yeah. So the community that you lived in in Ontario when you're growing up, how big was that? The town was probably about ten thousand people. Okay, so small. It's small. It's not. It's not large. It's. Uh, it. It was kind of like a commuter town, and it's only gotten bigger since I've left. But uh, you, you know, the, your neighbors. You go out and you have barbecues with your your friends on the same street. And you go to each other's houses. So it was, you know, a, that kind of community. It's nowhere near as you know as tight as this one is because you're. You know, we all live here. Not that many people. It's an island. Yeah. You know, you're kind of you're kind of forced into situations, which is great. You know, um, I, I'm glad I've been given the opportunity to to spend a lot of time with some of the people I probably wouldn't have spent time with if I didn't live here. And um, the way that Pender is, and, and that you don't really hang out. It's not just about hanging out with people your age. You, you really get to hang out with everybody. 
Absolutely. And isn't that great, right? Because when you mentioned the customers you had, it's probably, it's a wide age range of customers I'm sure you're describing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I love that. I love interacting with people who are 20, 30 years older than me and just so many common interests and great conversations. And it's really easy to uh, share a conversation with people of uh, varying ages and even people that are 20 years younger than me. Some of the kids coming up here are like fantastic. The smartest things. They yeah. just say the smartest little things. <laughs> They're so great. The Pender kids are amazing. Colin Hamilton was in the other day talking to Rob about, I guess, how his daughter had gone to a conference about kids trying to come up with ways to get rid of plastics. Like, where in the world would that happen? Like, these kids are just so so thoughtful and forethinking and, like, taking on this big, massive issue. You know, it is their future, but... I would have never done that as a kid in my community. There, there was no focus on things like that. It's just incredible. These kids, they're just so smart. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I know. I, I can't even imagine doing that when I was that age at all. But I guess, yeah, it, it, times are different now. It's not the same that when we were that age. But also, I guess, it's the circumstances of being on this pretty nurturing island that we mm-hmm. live on. Yeah. yeah. That's why Robin uh, I are very glad that Frankie's growing up here. It's amazing. Mm. Uh, all the support and, you know, it really does take a village. Wonderful. Something I want to uh, talk about is I, I don't know too much about, but uh, I'm going to find out right now is that uh, you and Rob rode motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear about that <laughs> because I, I know vague stories about uh, you guys uh, riding some uh, motorcycles through the States, but uh uh, how did that uh, come about and how were those uh, trips or trip? Was it singular or plural? Oh, no, there's been trip. Let's hear about some <laughs> motorcycle rides. Uh, we actually, I rode on a motorcycle for the first time with Rob. He had a shadow or something and he took me for a ride. And I thought it was a lot of fun and I had no desire to learn. And that was fine. I, I'm glad that he had his bike and he enjoyed it. Um, and then he decided for our honeymoon, uh, we were going to go stay with his folks in Florida because they have a little place in Naples. Then we were going to rent a motorcycle and we were going to drive down to the Keys. So we rented a motorcycle and we drove the Keys. And the entire time I was cold and bored. And I was like, oh, this sucks. This is so much fun. It would be so much more fun if I was driving myself. Okay. So when we got back from that trip, of course, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really loving bikes. And I thought it'd be super cool. And I wound up uh, taking a, a motorcycle class because Rob's like, if you're going to ride, somebody's got to teach you. And it's probably best if it's not me. So uh, I did a course in, in Langford and a really great instructor taught us how to ride. And after that, we wound up going to Vancouver and got this really cute little, I think it was like a 125, just tiny little motorcycle. It was so much fun, but no balls. You couldn't drive it down the highway. Be lucky if you made it up to 80. So um, I wound up getting rid of that. And Rob and I got these awesome um, cruisers. Like I got a Kawasaki Vulcan. It was like, you know, customize them. You have fun doing stuff with your bikes like that. So we got these bikes and we decided, well, we're going to take off for a month this year. Uh, It's really slow at the restaurant. What are we going to do? And we thought, let's take these bikes down to the States. So we we have family uh, and friends. The friends that we met on our sail trip have a place in San Francisco. So we took a trailer, uh, like a camper trailer, put the bikes in the back of the pickup truck, drove down there, spent some time with them, and then left the trailer uh, there. Got on the bikes, and we drove into to Death Valley, 
so we did some really nice long high elevations and then sink back down into the valleys it's amazing the feeling that you get riding your motorcycle through these vast open areas and you're the only ones on the road and the scenery is so beautiful it's just it's it's amazing it's like you feel like i don't know how to describe that it's just it's amazing that's yeah. it so we we drove through death valley we made it through to vegas that's where rob thought it would be fun for me to learn how to ride a dirt bike so we went out with this guy he showed us how to ride and i was hooked like i i thought it was amazing like as long as you you're you're safe and you're calculated and you wear the right gear you can have a lot of fun so after that trip we we continued riding we wound up having to trailer them back once we got to arizona because we needed to get home so it was basically like drive down there ride see everything you can see and then quick hightail it back to the trailers and then get home because a month it goes by really quickly Mm. (laughs) especially since after you spend like maybe like eight hours on the road you're done it's it's road dumb they call it and you actually feel dumb like you're vibrating and you're tired and that's it so we've we just trucked them home. And then we, we did that trip a couple of times, um, just riding through the desert, going through Death Valley, and then eventually switching bikes from the, the cruisers to, to enduro-style bikes. And Sorry, what's an enduro-style bike? An enduro-style bike is very similar to like a motocross uh, bike, but larger. Okay. Uh, so it's got more CC, so it's like a 650. You can put bags and stuff on it, so you can actually take it out as a cruiser. It allows you to sit in a in a better position because when you're on a cruiser, you lean back and you sit on your tailbone. And with my back, I couldn't handle it. So sitting upright with your tailbone, not being scrunched, and you can ride that bike. Um, like you take your baggage off and you go right around the trails in the back. So like we would we would ride to Death Valley, and there'd be places that you go. You just drop your luggage. You go down these canyons like you're on like a goat path with your bike looking down a big giant cavern and you're like okay i'm just gonna try to do this without freaking out and uh and you do and you get to to be better and better at it and you get to see some pretty amazing things that you couldn't get to if you brought your car just incredible views incredible um experiences you just don't get it if you're walking even like because you're you're walking for so long forever to get where where you can get with the bike And uh, we really appreciate that, the the connection. You know, but I don't ride as much anymore, obviously. It's hard to get out, but it's a really amazing experience. I'm really glad I got bored at looking at his head. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you still have the bikes? You haven't traded them in or anything? You still got them? We still got them. We're expecting to go for rides maybe maybe next year. Okay. This year's too far gone, and the bikes need work, and we need to do oil changes and stuff like that, so... It is what it is. Well, that's that's super inspiring to hear because, like, I've uh, I've never really ridden motorbikes, but I have. I've always had a yearning. But when I was uh, I was fifteen, my best friend and I were totally into motorbikes. We're like, all right, we were gonna get motorcycles. We we'd get the catalogs and the calendars from the yeah. Honda dealership, and I actually had a specific bike picked. I think it was like a CRB six hundred, and I was like, that's the bike I'm gonna get. And we were walking back to my house from the mall one day in Burnaby. And this motorbike ripped past us. And it was that bike. And I said, oh, man, it's so cool. Right on. That's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be me. And we walk another 10 minutes and we get to an intersection. And that motorcyclist was in a head-on collision with a car. He was like comatose down on the ground. 
and not moving. And then there's uh, another driver that's outside of her vehicle with a little scratch on the front of the hood and all in a panic. And, and she was perfectly fine. And uh, just my stomach sank when I saw that. And uh, yeah, and I haven't uh, haven't followed that passion of getting a motorcycle since since that age because it really left such an impression on me because I, I literally thought, that's me. That's me on that motorbike riding. And then to see 10 minutes later, he might have actually passed away. I'm not even sure. Oh my God. I know, I know. So the thing was, it totally turned me off the idea of getting a motorcycle. But it, like, I've always had this deep yearning inside myself to get one. But the, hearing your stories, it's got me excited again. <laughs> well, the guy who taught me how to ride actually is Richard Plisker. He's the guy who owns the hop farm. Oh, really? Yeah. So wait, he was running he, in Langford? He was doing that? He's or? part of the Vancouver Island Safety Council. I oh. believe that does. Or, or it's, the, it's the learning club. I can't remember the name. But he teaches uh, the class. Okay. Yeah. I would say... It's important to be safe. Oh, absolutely. It's important to have the right gear. No. It's important to learn from somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. I wouldn't have been comfortable and I probably would have had the same reaction as you if I had seen that. That would have scared the crap out of me. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for the motorcycle stories. It's, uh, it's incredible. Uh, so moving on to what happened after you sold uh, the restaurant to Hope Bay and uh, what you and Rob are doing now currently, which is Mm -hmm. you are the proud owners of a country store. We are. We love country stores. (laughs) (laughs) I've always loved country stores, and I always had the intention eventually to become a shopkeep. And I'll tell you, it's a lot harder than it seems. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Do tell. Well, we were lucky enough to have Nancy as the manager there when we first got in, so Big brain, lots of knowledge, knows exactly what she's doing. She got to work with John and watching everything happen. You kind of just, you, you don't realize all the things that go in the background. So for the first year and a half, I'm just kind of like, oh, well, owning a store is kind of like just going in, making sure you're ordering things right, making sure people are showing up on time. But it's a lot more than that. It's really about the connections you need to make with people. Or you need to remember exactly what it is they like. You need to make sure that you're forecasting correctly and as much as i had to do that in the restaurant like to make sure you you always have enough food and house and you don't run out of stuff it's a lot harder in a in a store where you've got many different suppliers making sure that you have everything and then also just making sure that uh, you still get to take the time to make the connections with the people I was like, John did such a great job. He was really good at like, you walk in there to buy one thing and you leave the store and you've got like six other things because he told you all these stories and, you know, he introduced you to so many things and that is a real art. You know, you can't really learn that. You can kind of try to emulate it, I guess. But but yeah, it's a, it's a different challenge and it's, it's a lot of fun though. Uh, learning about all the different products that people want to buy. And what people expect you to have. That that part is, that's pretty interesting for me. And, you know, this isn't the kind of place where Rob and I expect to have it nailed in the first year. It's, uh, we've always told ourselves this is a 20-year plan. 20-year plan? Yeah. You well, guys are in. Yeah, we okay. don't, we don't want out. We want to slowly build what we're doing. We want to learn as we go. We want to build. If you want to be there for a long time, you can't just try to get it all done in one day. You got to break up your projects and do a little bit at a time because it's very easy to get um, overwhelmed. And uh, this place means a lot to us. There's just such a, a great feeling about it. When we, we decided we were going to do this, it was just like, this feels really good. You know, the restaurant felt good, but this feels like we're supposed to be doing this. So, um, 
yeah, we we really are happy with it. And we love the fact that there was a great place to stick the food truck to. Oh, right. The food truck. Yeah. That was the, the transition time in between the restaurant and Southridge was uh, having the food truck that was at uh, the winery for a while. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it was really funny because we had decided after we sold the restaurant that we were just going to have jobs and I was going to run the food truck and have maybe a part-time job. And Rob worked across the street at the hardware store uh, and I did the food truck. It was great. Um, and then we just decided that that wasn't going to, to be the forever thing. And doing a food truck, it's great. I love it because it's it's fast paced. Uh, the menu can change as much as you like. You don't have to be as fancy as as you think you have to be with a restaurant. Or at least that the, the pressure I felt to be fancy with a restaurant or to 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 flex your culinary muscle. <laughs> <laughs> but do you mean fancy also in the uh, presentation of the food in a restaurant versus a food truck? Or? Yeah, yeah, and not that I didn't take it that it wasn't important to make sure that my food was beautiful and well presented and thoughtful. It's just that you can focus on one or two items and make them really good mm. instead of having to think of an entire menu to keep everyone happy. You just kind of focus on one or two items and make them yours and make them great. So the food truck was a, a nice break and a nice return to appreciation for, you know, my craft. Quick question off the top of my head here. What's been your favorite dish to make over the years? And secondly, mm. what's been your favorite uh, dish of your own that you've enjoyed uh, making and eating for yourself? Rob and I used to do the ribs. That was my favorite thing to make. Oh, I love those ribs. Yeah, they were. They're always a <laughs> wow, like the 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 presentation. Like uh, we used to have, like Rob would purposely go out with the big tray to the smoker loaded up in his hand and he'd walk to the smoker where I'd do that with my salmon. But you just kind of like the presentation that you had with those ribs was just, it, it just, it felt good. It was, it was amazing to see. It was, it was fun to be part of that, that presentation. So the ribs were my favorite thing to make. Now I don't really have much time to cook for myself. <laughs> so I eat a lot of chicken because <laughs> it's easy and the kid will eat it. But things I like to make for myself, I like making soup. Soup? Yeah. Yeah? My, it's my jam. Okay. I love making soup. What kind of soups? Anything. I, I get a huge thrill out of being able to take any ingredient and turn it into something different, like turning it into a soup. I had a bunch of kohlrabi ends and a bunch of blue cheese and um, some leekscapes and a bunch of goat milk that was going to expire in a couple of days. Well, you put all that into a soup? I did. That sounds incredible. Wait, kohlrabi, blue cheese, goat milk, and... And leekscapes. I know. I know. So so being able to, to pull something together out of maybe a mistake is, is very satisfying. And to make it good is very satisfying because you could go ahead and turn that into something it might not be good and that's very sad for sure <laughs> <laughs> very sad for sure well you know i was just going to say thank you uh for myself but maybe on behalf of some other people as well too because it's so interesting to get to hear the perspective from somebody who's fed so many people on this island so many times and i was oh. i was really looking forward to talking to you because i think that it's such a interesting position that you've had on this island as being a uh, cook and a chef and running a food truck and and uh, so many people have eaten the food that's uh, passed through your hands and uh 
Yeah, thank you very much for all the delicious food that you've uh, you've provided, and thank you for sharing some behind the scenes stories of what uh, it's been like to uh, to get to that point and what it's been like during those points. Yeah, you're welcome. That's awesome. And just to get to South back to Southbridge before we end off here as well too is that uh, so you you and Rob are in the uh, the beginnings of uh, having the store. You've taken over from John John Miles, which was one of the previous interviews I just did a couple yeah. couple interviews ago. So. Uh, did you have the chance to listen to that one? Uh, Rob listened to the one about John. I'm backlogged right now. Okay, no worries. <laughs> but uh, so in terms of, you said that it's a long-term plan with uh, with Southridge and uh, you guys are committed and everything, but uh, it's been it's been a pretty good first year and a bit so far? It's been going good. We've got some learning curves to go through. There's always the, the concept of trying to make it your own, but at the same time, not it turning it into something completely different because you you don't want to turn it into something completely different. I loved it the way it was. I loved it for what it was. And I I want to to keep doing a lot of the stuff that John did, but trying to make it my own has proven to be a little tricky. Okay. Well, you'll you'll have time to figure it out. Exactly. There's time to figure it out. There's time to 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 grow and it's been such a great experience so far that I'm really looking forward to taking the time for the next couple of years turned it into something you know that's ours fantastic all right well we're we're nearing the end of our time here but if there's any last words of wisdom philosophies quotes phrases or single word uh patience patience yeah patience it's served every part of my life in the end the best if i wasn't patient Uh, or at least stop to think about patience, I wouldn't have the things I have in my life or be where I am at all. So be patient with yourself, be patient with others, and be patient. Just, Just be patient. That's so beautiful. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks for coming in. Of course. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much to Amanda for doing that interview. And to honor that interview, I decided that I would come down to Craddock Beach. So Craddock Beach is located on the South Island. And to get here, I drove most of the way down and near the end, I took a right on Craddock Drive and drove to the end of that little street and got out of the car and walked down probably about 25 steps to get down to the ocean here. And along the ocean, it's this beautiful rocky hilly area it's it's amazing actually the houses are perched on top of the cliff that's probably 40 50 feet up and there's just this huge mounded rock all along the edge here until the next point and when i came down here i decided i would walk out to the furthest point i could get to and i had to climb up a little bit of this super barnacly rock and nearing the top there's all this vegetation at the top and it's only about 20 feet above the sea right now but all this greenery is growing up here it's really beautiful so looking out towards the ocean right now i can see a few sailboats going by and this is beautiful late spring late afternoon and i thought i would come out here to honor the stories of amanda and rob on their sailboat and yeah What a really nice spot. Thank you again to Amanda for doing that interview. Really, really enjoyed that. Thank you to Ptarmigan Arts for helping to support this podcast. And thank you for listening. Until next time.